I remember when I was a child, I used to, and I share a lot of stories about my grandmother because we had a dear, a, a great and dear relationship. We still do. But I remember all the times that I would go over to my grandmother's house, and it was so interesting that, that I was kind of like, I was either the favorite or the second favorite grandchild, so that always has benefits, right? Um, so when we would come into town, it's like we would always get the best of everything, which is great. We'll talk about favoritism here shortly. Um, not today, though, because this is, we're having a moment. You guys just don't know it yet. But I remember going over to my, my grandmother's, and I loved going to my grandma's house. She always took care of me. She loved me for who I was. But there was one thing that we always did at grandma's house that kind of frustrated me a little bit. I remember in my grandma's house, and I remember it vividly the way it used to be and the way that it is now, that I would go into her dining area, and then it's right next to her dining area was the kitchen, kind of one big giant room, and then there would be a little passageway that would go into her living room, right? So visualize that with me. Over into the living room, and I remember just in the doorway, and the, the oldest paneling that you could possibly imagine, probably the oldest, grayest paneling that you've ever seen, that I remember that, that all, uh, several of us grandkids used to stand right in that doorway, and we would always say, Grandma, let's, let's see if we've gotten any taller since last time we were here. Let's see if we've gotten any taller. See, every time that, that we went to Grandma's house, and then every time that we would bust out the measuring stick, we always wanted to be just a little bit taller than what we were before. We didn't want to just measure up where we were. We wanted to be just a little bit better than what we were before. But see, here is where I have the problem. My two brothers are much taller than me. I don't know if you realize this, but I'm not like that tall. I'm, as they say, vertically challenged, right? And I have one brother that's 5'10", and the other one is 6'3", or 6'2". So, considerable difference here, right? Why are you laughing? This is not nice. <laughs> so, I remember that, that, we would, that we would go and that we would line up uh, against this old gray paneling wall, and we would measure up, and I would always try and be just a little bit better than what I was last time, and yet... I always fell short of their standard. I wonder how many of us in our life do that now. We try and live our day to just be a little bit better than what we were the day before. Maybe just to, to have just a little bit better standard than what we did the day before. Maybe we look at our peers and say, we look around at each other and say, wow, I'm so much better than that person, right? We don't do that. Yes, we do. And we look around and we say, we, we, we try and live our life in comparison to other people. We want to see how we measure up in relation to other people. We look at other people who are, who are maybe so much worse than us, and maybe we look at a bank robber and say, wow, I am like, I'm like a shining star compared to someone who just robbed a bank. But yet, in God's eyes, are we really? But yet, we try and live our life in comparison to those people. Or then, maybe we look at uh, other people who just seem like incredibly good-hearted people. Christians or non-Christians, and we look in the light of that and we say, I will never be able to measure up to that standard, but yet we're so much better than this other standard, or so we think. We try and live our life as a measuring stick. And I, I just want you to, to know that when it comes to God's goodness, and I love what we, what we sing. I've been singing that song for like a week, and my daughter and I have been singing that song about how your love never fails, about how how. When the, the pain is through the night, but what comes in the morning? Joy, the richness of that joy. And you know where that comes from? It comes from just a fountain of God's goodness. A fountain of God's goodness. That's what we're going to talk about today. Open your Bibles to Matthew 19. 
We're going to look at an individual. This guy, he was bent on trying to be good by himself. He thought he had everything hemmed up. He thought everything was in his life was going in, in the perfect way. And he actually uses that word. And it's used in this text. He thinks that he has it all taken care of. The track that he's on is, is, is great and wonderful. But he's going to find out something along the way. It's Matthew 19, verse 16 through 22. We're going to read that text in its entirety. Then we're going to be in Titus 3. So if you want to do like extra, extra credit, go ahead and hit up Titus 3 while you're at it. But this is what Matthew 19, verse 16 through 22 says. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what, what, what's the next word there? Somebody say it. What good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Oh, this guy, he, he thinks he has it figured out. Look what it says in verse 18. It says, which ones? The man inquired. He's like, he's excited. He's, we're going to see. He, he's really excited for a reason. Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. And what does the young man say? He says, all these I have kept. And he's excited about that. He says, well, what do I still lack? He thinks he has it taken care of. Jesus answers in verse 21. He says, if you want to be, what does it say there? Perfect. He says, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. See, what's interesting about this is we're going to kind of, as we do here at Dublin Bible Church, we kind of will bring out a text and we'll kind of take it uh, line by line as much as we can. And one thing that we see right out of the gate here is this man was on a quest of doing good. He thought things were taken care of. He thought that what he was doing was measuring up in relation to everyone else. So he thought, you know what, I have done these, these six things that Jesus points out. He says, I haven't murdered, I haven't committed adultery, I haven't stolen anything, I haven't given false testimony, I've honored my father and mother, and I've loved my neighbor as myself. He's thinking, I'm looking great in light of this information. Thank you very much, Jesus. Let's just wrap it up. But then Jesus continues, and we see that, that it doesn't necessarily work out that way. Well, let's back up to verse 17. Jesus says, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus is, is taking this man on a journey. He's taking this man on a journey to understand himself and what he's been doing and really the focus of what he's been doing. He takes him on this journey and he says, well, why do you ask me about what is good? And he continues, he says, there is only one who is good. There's only one that's good. He says, there's only one that's good. So this man, he, he didn't really get it at this point, but Jesus is kind of letting him know something about the order of which things go. And you'll, you'll see this throughout the rest of this talk. That Jesus says, he says, there's really only one that's good. And the psalmist also wrote in Psalm 119, verse 68, he says to God, he says, you are good and what you do is what? Tell me, church. Good. And then it continues in David's psalm, in Psalm 145, 8 and 9. It says, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. 
The Lord is good to all, and he has compassion on all he has made. Where does the goodness come from? This man, he thought he had it taken care of. He had looked at these commandments. In light of these commandments, he looked pretty good. He was trying to set his own standard. He looked in light of other people who were maybe not as as far along as he thought he was, and they said, well, in light of that, I measure up pretty stinking well. He neglected that the ultimate standard is set by God alone because as the scripture said in Matthew 19 that was on the screen, it says, there is only one that is good, that being the Lord God Almighty, who's truly good, undeniably good, unchangeably good, unthinkably good. But then as this kind of continues, I look at this, and this man in verse 18 the man, he says, uh, which ones? Like after asking him uh, about the, the commandments, he says, well, which ones? He sa- Jesus replied, he says, don't murder, commit adultery, steal, give false testimony, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. I wonder how many of us actually look, and we don't, we don't actually look to God as a standard for many things. We don't look to the standard that he sets, but instead that we do, like I said at the beginning of this talk, where we look amongst our peers. Because the sad thing is, if we look amongst our peers, we, we may have a false sense of, of security in ourselves in, in the way that we are, because we may be, quote-unquote, good people. But if we look in, in light of God's goodness... What should our response to that be? Humility. Because I can tell you, I, I may be able to measure up pretty well against some of you, but against God, man, I, I'm like Paul says, I'm like filthy rags. I don't have much in light of that. Because in light of God's goodness, I, I'm not a whole lot. That is the standard of which that we're supposed to live. We'll continue on. So we know that God is the source of, of all things good. This man, he's looking... He's, he, or excuse me, he's listening to Jesus talk, and he says, all of, in verse 20, he says, all of these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? He says, I'm doing really good in light of what you just said. I, I haven't killed anyone today. This is awesome. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't stolen anything today. This is awesome. I am, the sky, I mean, this is, this is wonderful. It's like, well, Jesus, you know, in light of that information, wow, look at me. But then Jesus did, as Jesus often does, in verse 21. Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, and by perfect, does it, it doesn't mean cleansed of all unrighteousness. It doesn't mean perfect and sinless. Basically, what that word perfect means is whole or complete. Whole or complete as far as it, with the ability to, to get to heaven and have eternal security. Because that's really what he wanted. He was trying to live through the, the laws of Judaism to try and earn his way into salvation. And he says, if you want to be perfect, whole or complete, he says, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. You see, this man had, had been so bent on what he thought it was about being good and keeping the commandments that he totally missed the boat. The boat set sail, and he totally missed it. He got to the pier way too late because one thing he didn't understand was his God was his possessions. 
So in light of everything else and everybody else, he looked pretty good. But what he didn't know is the thing that was holding him back was the fact that he was so bent on having these possessions that God, in this text, he says, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But the young man, when he heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. He went away sad because he knew that he could not measure up to the standard of which Jesus called him to. He thought, you know what? I can do all these other things. They come easy to me, but there's that one thing that's hidden in me. There's this one sin that's hidden in me. This thing of personal wealth that it's all about me, that I've accomplished this. I've got this degree. I've had this job. I've got this much in my 401k. My retirement plan looks so good. But Jesus says, I just want you to know those all could be gods in your life. Small g, that you're trying to make the big G. He says, I just want you to know, when it's all stripped away, the standard of which I'm calling you to has nothing to do with your pension plan, has nothing to do with your 401k, has nothing to do with your IRA, has nothing to do with your your job position, what you've done or what you're going to do. He says, the standard of which I called you to is goodness, and the goodness is set by the Father above. Everybody say amen to that. You see, we struggle with this idea because we are so much like this guy. We struggle with this idea of measuring up and being good because as humans, we want to look around at each other to try and base our own life, morals, and and to base our goodness off of. And we cheat ourselves and we cheat the great things that God wants to do in our life. This happens at an early age, actually, if you sit back and think. I know some of you are guilty of this. As, as I was when I was a kid, I remember that when, when my kids were really young, we would go to Walmart. Anybody else like totally don't like to go to Walmart? All right. I'm not alone. Anyway, I got that off my chest. I feel better now. I'm not a big fan of Walmart, but I remember when I was a kid and we used to, when we used to go and we take our kids to Walmart, we would walk in the door. We had, we had one child who, who didn't really give us fits, and then we had one child who absolutely gave us fits every single day is the moment you woke up until they went to sleep, which was like two hours, it seemed like, and it was just like chaos, right? That's a true story. That's not hyperbole. I didn't make that up. But I remember we'd go into Walmart, and we would sit before we would even go into Walmart, right? Right before we hit the little buffer where the carts are, and we would go through the speech. We would say, now, we're going to be in the store a long time. We're getting groceries. Here's what you need to do. You need to listen to what I say. I'm going to put you in the cart. You need to stay in the cart. Don't even think about climbing out of the cart. You're going to be in where the seats go in the cart. You're not going to be in the back where the groceries are because you're going to be on them. Are we understood? Right? Deer in the headlights. But here's the thing. And then after we get about five steps into Walmart, we realize that our plan is going to have to be revamped because it ain't going to work out that way. And then we resort to this. And then we're like, well, we're going to be in Walmart. See, our tone totally changes. We're going to be in Walmart for about an hour, hour and a half. And when we get done at Walmart, if you're really good, we will, right? We'll walk back over to the toy section. We'll let you get a toy, right? That's what we do. And we, we get, we program our kids to do the same thing. We have a standard that we set, but then as soon as we're challenged as parents, so many times we just buckle to that and we think, you know what, it'd be so much easier to spend $4 on a toy that I'm going to throw away in two months than it would be to sit here and argue with my child in Walmart because that is embarrassing, right? So we set a standard, we break the standard, and we settle for something less. 
I remember when I was a child, I've shared this before, and I don't know her name, um, which is good. Um, but I remember when I was a child and when I would have my sporadic church moments because I didn't really grow up in church, as most of you know. But I remember that I used to go into the Sunday school class, and it was one of those churches where you'd like be in there for like five hours. I mean, like literally five hours, but it felt like eight for a kid. And I remember sitting in the chair, and I would walk in, and it was one of those things the Sunday school teacher would look over, and she would just go flush because the Zoot kid was there again, right? So I would go, and I, I, would, I, I would do my thing, and I would go sit in the chair, and I would have my little coloring sheet because that's how all Sunday schools used to be, right? And I would sit with my coloring sheet, and she would come sit next to me, and she'd say, well, Chad, if you're a good boy today, I'm going to give you a candy bar when you leave, right? She's like, if you're good today, I'll give you a candy bar before you leave. So I'm thinking, I'm, I might be able to get that candy bar, and I may not, right? It, it's like 50-50 here. I don't know. It could go either way. But I remember so many times that I would, I would sit in the seat, and I would do what she wanted me to and conform to what she wanted me to, and I would... I wouldn't sing, but I would sit there and, or stand there like she wanted me to. But I remember, like, after, like, the time was up when we were able to be free, she'd give me that candy bar, and I would just, like, randomly trip a kid on the way out the room. <laughs> it's like, I don't, I'm not saying this is right, but I'm just saying I did it. She wanted, she wanted me to be good. She was trying to bribe me to be good. We don't need to be bribed to be good. We need to be good because of what we've seen from the Psalms a minute ago and what we've seen from Matthew 19, because God is good. Our standard isn't off what we can get when we're at Walmart, if we can get that little toy that's going to be garbage in two months. It isn't, am I going to get the candy bar at the end of this? Am I going to be good at work because I'm going to get a raise? Am I going to be, am I going to be good at work? Am I going to do what I'm supposed to at work because eventually, hopefully, maybe that I can make it up to middle management? I mean, we're not good at work because of that. We're good because God calls us to be light in the workplace and to have a testimony in the workplace. And the way that you maintain a testimony in the workplace is by working hard, right? It's, it's not because they have, a, you know, the, the carrot in front of you and you're racing toward the carrot. You do those things in light of God's goodness and you say, you know what? Here's an opportunity. This is what they call a communicable attribute of God, which means that we can do it. God God is good, and we can actually have some of this, of, of this attribute of God. And we can be good, but we can be good not to attain salvation, but we can be good because the standard that God set for us. Not because we're good enough, but because He's good enough. That is the standard of which we're supposed to live. That is what we're supposed to strive for. See, the rich young man... Getting back to our text, the rich young man, he, he found it hard to be able to, to follow through with what Jesus said. And he said, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. You see, at this point, his possessions were his God. His possessions were his God. He was struggling because the very thing that, that basically God had been providing for him became the God and basically trumped the God who provided that. For him, And he was a little bit confused. Those things basically became his Lord. Ironically, this is Jesus, and Jesus is Lord. So many of us, we, we, and I mentioned this for the last couple of weeks, but we settle for a cheap substitute. We settle for a cheap substitute of chasing things 
and maybe trying to be good for things. But the reality is, Jesus is Lord. We, we, anytime we, that we settle for a cheap substitute and we place something over Jesus, we settle. He never stops being God. Hope we've, we've heard that over the last couple of weeks, that he doesn't stop. But there's a beautiful thing in Romans 8.28. This is on the screen. When we submit ourselves fully to God, when we submit ourselves fully to God, this is difficult. I'll say it again. When we submit ourselves fully to God, we can trust this to be true, that in all things God works for, those, for the good of those who love him, who have been called, what? According to his purpose. Uh, does that mean that everything's going to feel good? Nope. Does that mean that, that you're going to get that candy bar at the end of, uh, of being good? Nope. That means that through the course of your life, because of God's goodness, that even amongst and his grace is so sufficient and his mercy is never ending. And the joy that he gives comes every morning afresh and anew. But we look at this and we say, when we submit ourselves fully to God, we can trust. We can, if, but you see, here's the thing. We can't, if we don't submit ourselves fully, you can't trust this. This becomes a hardship for you. This becomes a battle for you, and you stop believing that it's true. But it's in the Word of God. It's never stopped to be true. What stops is our submission. Because if we submit ourselves fully, then we can really trust that in all things, God works for the good of those who are called according to His purpose. But it comes down to us. It does. And how we want to view circumstances in our life. How we want to view circumstances in our life. Over, not next week, but in the next few weeks, we're going to be going into a series called Plan B. And I think everybody has had a plan B in their life where we, we thought life was going to be directed one way. And then for whatever reason, our own doing, the Lord's doing, however you want to look at all that. And then we veer off and go a different way. Everybody's forced with a plan B. This, this scripture came at the most perfect time for us because this is kind of the crux of it. That in all things, God works for the good of those for our good even things that don't feel right to us they don't seem right to us god never stops being good we stop submitting and we stop trusting but god never stops being good now there may be some of you where maybe you're like this man and and you you find yourself and you think you know what you find yourself trying to keep the salvation that god's given to you that standard, the whole thing again. You say, well, you know what, I'm, uh, I've got to go do this, and I've got to serve here, and I've got to give here, and I've got I've to do this, and I've got this opportunity. I need to chase this rabbit, and I, I have all these things. And what we do is, so many times, even in great church folks, we start to inevitably start to try and work off our salvation. We, we can serve God. We can give to God. We can, we can be compelled to share Christ with others, not because we're good or to strive a perfect level of goodness to reach Him, but we can do it only because of His goodness. It's almost like an inheritance. Say, for instance, that uh, you have an Uncle Louie. He lives in Colorado, right? Uncle Louie in Colorado. Tracking with me so far? We have an Uncle Louie. I don't have an Uncle Louie, so I can say this. Uncle Louie lives in Colorado. Maybe you find out one day that, that you know, your family, you kind of disperse. You've never even heard about Uncle Louie, right, in Colorado. But all of a sudden, you find out that you have this Uncle Louie, and you find out that he has, he has basically, he had a Fortune 500 company, 
made millions of dollars. It's all in a bank. He lived in a pinto wagon. He lived in a cabin. He didn't spend a dime of it. He is just, he, he didn't have any other heirs to give that money to. But he has decided that he was just going to give it to his long lost nephew or niece. He was going to give it to you. And Uncle Louie put this in his will, unbeknownst to you. But all of a sudden, Uncle Louie dies in his cabin in the woods that he had to take his pinto wagon to get to. Right? He dies. All of a sudden, you get this report, and you get this thing from a lawyer, and it says, your Uncle Louie, such and such, died in Colorado, and you are the beneficiary of all of his wealth. He worked so hard. He built his whole career trying to earn all this money. What did you do to earn it? Nothing. It's just a wonderful inheritance. A wonderful inheritance. That's the same thing. That's the same speech that we see in Titus 3. Flip there quickly. Titus 3, verse 4 through 8. says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Look at this next part. Not because of righteous things we had done. Not because of good things that we have done. Not because we have given a certain amount of money to an organization. Not because we have worked and we have sacrificed He says, it's not because of righteous things we have done, but because of what? His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become, what's the next word? Heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I, want you to, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Because you are an heir to the throne of God. Because God's goodness shines so brightly on you, and His mercy is afresh and anew. Each morning, and his joy comes every single morning when you, take your first, when you wake up and your eyes open for the first time. Every day is an opportunity to experience God's joy and God's goodness in your life. And he says, now that you have all of these things, he says, devote yourselves to doing what is good. That's our challenge. We... we we can't live up to anybody else's standard. There's always going to be somebody that's more talented than you. There's always going to be somebody who has more money than you. There's always going to be somebody who can outgive you. There's somebody always who can outserve you. We don't do those things. We, don't, we, we, we should just erase in our memory the ability to be able to measure up to other people because we cheat ourselves and we cheat what the Lord wants to do in our life. We can only do what we do because of God's goodness, His grace, and His mercy. And Wayne Grudem is quoted as saying, good is what God approves. Good is what God approves. 
my question to you, and I'll leave you with today, is what has God approved of in your life this week? What could you change from last week to this week to maybe challenge yourself, maybe that in light of God's goodness, maybe that you will try to bring more good into the world that you live in. Maybe you'll try and love on your spouse a little bit better. Maybe you'll try and work a little bit harder at work. Maybe you'll try and sacrifice a little bit more in whatever way that means for you, time, finances, or whatever. What is it that God wants you to do to bring more good into the world? Because I know he wants to do something. Let's pray. Father, we are honored to be here today. We're honored to just to be considered heirs to the throne. We're honored, Lord, that in light of this, this rich inheritance that you've given us, in light of that, Lord, that now we can take the events of our life and we can take the blessings of our life and we can turn those into doing good for others. Father, we, just, we love you and we just praise you for, for how great you are to us that you would just bring us together in this place and just share the truth of God's word. And we have the ability to do that. I pray that, that through the teaching and application of the word today, that we would bring more good into our world. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.